You've heard about spear phishing emails and so-called business email compromise attacks, but do you know how to spot them if they're targeting your organization? If not, you might want to tune in on February 7th at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for a Security Ledger webinar sponsored by Greathorn. We're going to be talking about how modern email-based attacks can be stopped with a full lifecycle approach to security that combines perimeter-based detection with user awareness and robust incident response and remediation. To register, go to securityledger.com slash email. That's E-M-A-I-L. Securityledger.com slash email to register. This is the Security Ledger Podcast, and I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this week's podcast episode number 132, we're digging deep on the issue of electric grid and critical infrastructure security. As we reported last week, NERC, the North American Reliability Corporation, issued a $10 million fine and a 250-page report detailing the failure by one of its member companies to abide by the organization's main cybersecurity regulation, the Critical Infrastructure Protection, or CIP, standard. Thirteen of the violations listed were rated as a serious risk to the operation of the bulk power system, and 62 were rated as a moderate risk. Together, quote, the collective risk of the 127 violations posed a serious risk to the reliability of the bulk power system, NERC said. The report was heavily redacted, however, blacking out the name of the fined entity as well as some details of the violations. Still, subsequent reporting citing unnamed energy industry sources have identified Duke Energy as the subject of the NERC fines. In a statement to Security Ledger, that company said that it couldn't confirm or deny the allegation, citing, quote, potential physical and cybersecurity risks that a disclosure could pose to the industry. With all the secrecy around the company that was penalized and the violations, it can be hard to assess the importance of the fine itself. Is a $10 million NERC CIP violation a major development in the electric generation and distribution industry? And with nation states like China and Russia dialed in on U.S critical infrastructure, do the NERC CIP standards even matter anymore? To answer some of those questions, we reached out to some experts on critical infrastructure security and invited them into the Security Ledger studios to talk. Willie Leiter is the vice president of marketing, and Saurabh Sharma is the vice president of business development at the firm Versec, which works with major corporations as well as intelligence agencies to secure critical infrastructure, including parts of the U.S. electric grid. In this interview, Willie Saurabh and I talk about the state of play in the critical infrastructure space and whether NERC's enforcement action and the CIP standard itself are likely to have much of an impact on the security of the electric grid in an environment of growing and increasingly sophisticated risks. Willie Leichter, VP of Marketing at Versac. Saurabh Sharma, VP of Business Development at Versac. Without getting too technical, a lot of the new attacks that are hitting, particularly in the ICS space, in Destroyer, Triton, Black Energy, it started with Stuxnet 10 years ago, they are finding various ways to worm into these enterprises, but then they are corrupting critical applications, typically control applications that are used to control equipment, uh, using these memory techniques. And um, a lot of these, you may have heard of Eternal Blue and Double Pulsar. These things keep coming up. They were 
probably originally developed by the NSA and then leaked out, but that's another story. So we're working with a lot of enterprise clients globally, um, but there's been particular concern with um, both in the government and defense space. We've partnered early on with Raytheon, um, and we're in multiple projects with them around the world, many of which we can't you know, name the three-letter agencies, but a lot of concern. Sure. Um, also then with ICS vendors, Schneider Electric, Aviva, which used to be their software arm, they spun off, and, and a number of other vendors. Paul, as we as we keep hearing about you know these news articles that pipelines, power grids, vulnerable to cyber attacks from nation states, and you know this has been happening, but this is happening even more, and this is coming you know more and more visible these days. Now, a part reason for that could be, or is actually the digital transformation a lot of companies are you know working on at the moment. Uh, in fact, you know the, the ICS vendors that we closely work with are using us because, uh, you know, we are one technology which is uh, kind of seamless between the IT and OT layers. You know, for, for a digital transformation to happen, you are making, uh, you know, the MES or the ICS, SCADA, DCS silos talk to the IT layers for analytics, big data, and so on and so forth. And sure. these systems were never, you know, supposed to be exposed to the external world, but now they are. So if they are, the security, and, and when they were kind of developed, the security, you know, was not as big of a concern that time. The world used to be a safer and a better world that time. Now it's not. Now the problems, uh, you know, coming back to, going back to the problem, one is, of course, you know, exposure of these, you know, systems, OT systems uh, to IT and the external world. But even though, even the layers which are kind of air-gapped and DMZs and heavily protected, you know, we have seen in the past that attacks have happened there. Like Stuxnet is a big, a good example for that. Like uh, air-gapped facility, the attackers, they got in through a USB, they stole the Siemens PLC certificate, they got it through a vendor. They, they kind of exploited four zero-day vulnerabilities. That's exactly what, what worries uh, the ICS space much is, is the targeted attacks. And, you know, these are not the drive-by attacks or, you know, non-targeted attacks where people are just trying off, you know, driving by and, and they find something and they steal that. No, it's not like that. And they are, it, these, these are very, very highly, you know, sophisticated, planned and targeted attacks where the attacker would do anything that's needed to get in there and they would somehow get in. Now, if they get in, uh, in, in the DCS layer, which is air-gapped, what would you do? So what is your last defense and how can you make your, um, you know, SCADA systems, the DCS layers and your PLCs, which are exposed to the kill chain, uh, self-protect? You know, as long as you keep chasing the known bad, which, uh, which is something that we have been doing for a long time, like 30 years now, and we have always been failing in that because of the moment uh, an attacker is able to wear a disguise that you have never come across before, you are dead. And that's what is happening. So basically, instead of chasing uh, the threats and vulnerabilities which are completely out of control, uh, a better way and a more intelligent approach is to ensure that the finite thing is the code that, that you know what it is and what it is supposed to do. And as long as you can make sure that the code only executes what it is supposed to, then you can subvert any attack. So that's 
probably at a very high level i'll take a pause and take any question that you have on on what we have said so far so in this case we have an industry group more or less that is uh, applying a standard which is a ci and this standard seems like mostly basic network security hygiene type stuff when you're out there talking with customers how big of a factor is nerc cip compliance versus um, concern about nation state adversaries who, you know, are going to use any means necessary to gain access to their network? I think there is a significant understanding gap with many of the people who are running this infrastructure. You know, we come out of the IT security space and we can talk for hours about you know, the technology. It's a different language in the ICS space. And there is still this prevailing notion that they have isolation and their, you know, security by isolation, which just has been proved to be, you know, penetrable. Um, I think the standards are pretty rudimentary security, frankly, you know, and, and frankly, stuff that we would consider um, table stakes, uh, you know, having good firewalls, having antivirus. The bar is pretty low. Now, you know, perhaps we work with people who are on the, the more paranoid end or the more sophisticated end and really trying to get to the bottom of these, you know, extremely dangerous nation state attacks. But, you know, we're seeing the, the power industry in particular, oil and gas, wastewater, you know, they are, they're in the crossfires here. So I, I think the, I think there's a, you know, there's a, a fundamental, un, lack of understanding and awareness about just basic security within the ICS space. And then the other thing is just the fact that they have technology that's designed to last 30 years. And, you know, and there's a lot of software and hardware embedded there that was built whenever in the 80s or 90s, or you know, that is multiple generations out of date. And yet that's what they rely on. That's what's been certified. So, there's a lot of inertia there for understandable reasons that they don't want to go, you know, just put in the latest Microsoft patch every day because, you know, they can't afford it to bring something else. Now, we have seen in our experiences, like we, we work with a lot of ICS customers. We carry out our own testing, assessment testing before we go ahead uh, and do deployment of our site. You know, of course, these assessments do, you know, cover all these uh, standard uh, frameworks like NIST and then you have... PTES and then, you know, uh, you know, uh, so all these standard, uh, you know, when, when you, when you do these assessments, you find that, you know, even the, as, as Willie was mentioning, even the basic of security are, are not complied with, you know, there are a lot of gaps. Uh, patching is one big problem for, uh, you know, OT industry, you know, it is for IT also, but IT, it is at least manageable. You know, we know we have come across many ICS customers um, who have not, who are running behind patching, you know, several years, several, several years. So, you know, they, they, they don't even think about, you know, uh, taking their um, production line down and, you know, mm-hmm. spending time and energy to, to care about the patching. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're running vulnerable systems, if you are leaving, you know, windows and doors open for people to come in and uh, hit you, uh, you will shortly get that. And and when you guys, because you're privy to, um, you know, how many of these attacks go down, um, are we talking more or less about, you know, uh, albeit, albeit, you know, sophisticated threat actors, you know, nation state actors, but basically nation state actors who are walking through open doors or taking advantage of very obvious um, security flaws? Or is it more subtle and targeted? I think it is targeted. These are not your typical, you know, 
Nigerian princes trying to do that with a phishing attack. These are <laughs> tend to be targeted, the ones that are most insidious. You know, they have a goal. The other challenge is there is a lot of reconnaissance and dwell time. So I guarantee you the next attacks that are going to hit are already somewhere in the networks of these yeah. companies. They're, yeah. they're already past the firewall, and that's the frightening part. And you only hear about when they get caught. So, and, and there was a recent example, uh, we can't name the customer, but it was a Middle Eastern power plant that was, that was compromised and weeks into this compromise before the attacker made a mistake, but was already down to the control layer, putting, changing the um, firmware in some of these PLCs, you know, gotten mm. way, way deep inside. So that's the frightening part. And that's kind of where our philosophy of you got to watch what's actually happening with the, the equipment, as opposed to, you know, getting more security guards at the front door, because, you know, because A, it's porous and B, you know, the, the hackers will try thousands of ways to get in and they only need a couple to work. But then once they have a foothold, that's where the real, you know, sophisticated stuff starts. Yeah, that also confirms that, you know, knowing the protocol between the two workstations and exactly knowing the logic and all that, knowing about the ladder logic being used in the yeah. PLC, you know, these are targeted attacks. You have to have, you know, very, very deep knowledge about those uh, systems, PLCs and ladder logics and, you know, the... Uh, the protocols being transferred between two workstations and right. uh, controllers, and there and specific controllers, you know, targeting specific Siemens controllers or exactly. whoever they're they're from. So they are, you know, they're they're sophisticated and knowledgeable. And you see evidence that they have that knowledge, that they know, they understand what is deployed, and they've tailored their actions and attack to the specific hardware and software exactly. that's in use. Yeah, you know, there's a term in, in IT, IT security about the kill chain, and it's very much applies here. So you get mm -hmm. in, you gain foothold, you pivot, mm -hmm. you move around, you explore. So, yeah, they're very much discovering, doing reconnaissance, figuring out what equipment is there, and then targeting particular pieces of equipment that where they know there's maybe a firmware vulnerability or they have some expertise. We have seen some active attacks, particularly in the you know oil and gas industry, the Shamoon malware and, and so on in, in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia and other countries. And then, of course, in Ukraine, we've seen some kinetic attacks or some attacks against the grid yep. infrastructure there, uh, Russia probably behind those. Is there any way to for you or others looking at what's been taking place, what the ultimate objective is, or what the payload ultimately is going to be? It varies a lot what the motivation is. Um, in some cases, it's industrial espionage, probably in more than we think, mm -hmm. where, you know, other countries are breaking into, you know, U.S. or, you know, or other nations just stealing information about how stuff works. And there's another example that happened in the Middle East, the one I was mentioning, where a one country at war with another basically interfered, disrupted the power grid for a few days, which cost that company billions of dollars and, and risked their IPO. <laughs> so, you know, it's something where it's not mm -hmm. necessarily the doomsday scenario, but there's a lot of ways you can cause disruption and take advantage of it. And then, of course, you know, there are obviously the scary scenarios. I think if you step back a little bit, there, it's often financial and often political just to 
cause mayhem or fear. So this uh, $10 million penalty that was given to um, this regional entity, we don't know which one, but there are only seven of them. So I guess we've got a one in seven chance of figuring out which one it was. Do you see movement towards more accountability and better standards of you know cybersecurity practice? To read this report, it would seem that even at the management level, there just is still not a lot of attention to these issues of, you know, cybersecurity. First of all, $10 million is, is a slap on the wrist for whoever it is. And, it, you know, usually the public exposure, if you look at like HIPAA or GLBA, it's the public exposure of the company that's really the motivator to make them get their act together. So, you know, this is pretty, pretty veiled. Um, it's certainly good that they are, you know, someone is looking into this, but I wouldn't hold my breath that they're anywhere close. You know, the regulators never work at, you know, at warp speed. They're always trailing and, you know, trying to, trying to enforce, you know, doing good work, you know, typically underfunded um, and spread too thin. But, you know, we support those efforts, but I don't think it's going to make a dent in you know, it's going to be up to the organizations themselves to start really investing more to solve this problem, I think. The companies that are probably most concerned about their reputation are the ones who are making this equipment. They don't want their names Siemens or ABB or Honeywell or Rockwell. They don't want their names in the news as a breach at targeting them. Absolutely. You mentioned you guys work with companies like Raytheon and three-letter agencies. You know, we saw Director of National Intelligence Coates uh, testifying this week and saying uh, that he's deeply concerned about threats to the grid. NERC aside, behind the scenes, do you see the government and the intelligence agencies pushing this along with these critical infrastructure operators in a way that, you know, obviously is under the radar? Or is this still mostly, you know, an industry-driven phenomena where they're mostly worried about regulators from NERC or, you know, that type of pressure? So a, a couple of things, um, particularly with Raytheon, uh, you know, it's a global issue, first of all. So Raytheon, probably a large percentage of their business is government and some commercial outside the U.S. And we have a number of projects in, you know, around the world that are probably moving faster than the U.S. government right now. Um, I think, you know, we, we work with some extremely smart people at Raytheon and very, you know, involved in very sophisticated cybersecurity, but it moves at government pace. <laughs> so, you know, there's some very large projects that have been, you know, moving along and are making progress, you know, particularly with companies like this, you know, there are people who are on the front lines. Absolutely. It's not all, you know, un unawareness, not a word. So you say that there are other countries that are moving faster on this issue than the United States is right now. We're involved in projects that are moving faster than yeah. ones in the U.S. Yes. Not necessarily government. Exactly. And a lot of them are, are government related and a lot of them are critical infrastructure. You know, particularly in the Middle East, frankly, there's some well-funded, fast-moving projects. When we talk about these risks, though, I wanted to ask, I mean, all of these vendors, uh, you know, Honeywell, Siemens, Schneider Electric, of course, their customer base is international. They sell more or less the same equipment to, to all these different countries and critical infrastructure owners. So isn't there an element sort of a mutually assured destruction here for any advanced cyber actor that, you know, the same vulnerabilities you might be taking advantage of in the United States almost certainly exist in your country as well and are and you are susceptible to the same types of um, mischief? Absolutely. You're absolutely right. 
those opportunities those vulnerabilities are exploited it can be exploited anywhere if they are there and i will say i'll just throw a a, a bone to our partner schneider electric um, there was this triton attack or called trisis as well the end of last year i think and it yeah. targeted some schneider equipment and schneider working with us and other vendors they got ahead of it they were very proactive they were you know you can see on youtube they're experts talking about this very upfront at their conferences so you know they are you know they are doing everything they can to to react but you know there's a lot of layers of legacy equipment that don't just go away how will we know what evidence will we see that the uh, critical infrastructure owners are rising to the challenge as it were um of uh, that uh, that these attacks uh, represent or present they are definitely more demanding as i as i said earlier you know the ics vendors are looking out for the right partners because they have been focusing into the the mes and the scada and the tcs technologies that's their uh, that's their forte security has never been uh, you know their core technology so they are looking out for partnerships partnerships like uh, with the companies like ours and they are embedding uh, those technologies into the new new age products and and they are hardening the they are releasing patches for the older products also triton is an example where we helped uh, schneider in the reverse engineering for that uh, particular attack and and many others that we have um, cohesively worked with them on in the past security is now is a is a major part of the rfp now it's it's not like something that you can ignore uh, it's mandatory mandatory now it's being asked by the customers no also to, to your question paul i think a, a positive sign is it's said a lot but security has become a boardroom topic yeah and public companies yeah. it, you know particularly with equifax that meltdown you know that got a lot of you know out, outside of ics or a lot of companies that do not want to be in that position CEOs and CIOs and CISOs are all being fired. You know, I think there's some, I think you can look to some positive signs where the big public companies are talking about security and are, you know, have security initiatives. You know, it, it, it's a never ending battle because it's not a static threat. You know, the threat keeps evolving and dynamic, but you know, there, there's definitely progress that has been made. But I think this, in particular, the ICS space has been a, you know, a little bit overdue. It's kind of a, you know, a laggard, not for their own, not by their own fault, but just because of the, you know, the age of the technology and what we talked about. That I think there's a, there's a, you know, aggressive catch-up game happening now. Right. You know, I, I spoke, you know, just to give an example, I, I spoke with one of the, um, you know, an ICS customer. You know, you can you can assume a, a large ICS player. And, uh, you know, they were using conventional IT technology to secure their workstations. And, you know, because they were air-gapped, they were DMZ, they were not even updating those. Uh, and these these older IT security technologies were kind of are dependent on, you know, signature updates, right? Because the new attacks that show up, you know, the signature needs to be updated so that, you know, uh, you don't, um, you know, uh, get attacked by those, those kind of uh, signatures. But in ICS world, these signatures or these updates happen like every 18, 15 to 18 months. They're supposed to happen hourly. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah. just assume like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Not, to name, um, not to name one particular vendor, but, you know, traditional security vendor, be it Semantic, McAfee, Trend, or what, so and so forth, you know, not to name one. Uh, you know, if you have these one of these technologies deployed in a workstation out there in an air gap facility and you are not updating it, for like 15 to 18 months, there, you know, it's like dead. There's, you, you should rather not have it 
because it's doing nothing but eating compute cycles, yeah. right? So, you know, patching uh, and, you know, updating is a big problem. And uh, we have also had experiences with uh, customers where customers are running their, uh, uh, you know, all, all the time they're not supposed to run their units on program mode, but they, they are running it on a program mode. This is basic hygiene, but, you know, this is being massively, massive, massively being uh, done because, you know, the, the sites are so remote, you know, on a, on a, on a snowstorm day, people do not want to drive 40 miles down inside the, you know, in the, you know, in the, in the wild and, 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 you know, turn that key to program mode. They always keep it on the program mode, you know, and if you do do that, you know, you know, you are susceptible to all possible kind of damages. And that's why, you know, these targeted attackers are exploiting. They know that these are, you know, very common practices. Of course, you know, there is a, Visibility. There is a lot of uh, paranoia now. People are getting better, but this has been, uh, you know, the way the industry has been working for decades. So it will change. It will take time to change that, you know, completely. There's certainly been a lot of warnings and sort of more and more frequent warnings about this threat uh, to, for example, the electric grid uh, from malicious actors. Do you see the threat? increasing yourselves? And could we see in this country, in the United States, something along the lines of what we've seen in Ukraine, where you have a um, you know, software-based attack on an on a electric grid that has, you know, really physical, real-world consequences. You know, the light, the lights go out. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's beyond you know possible. I'd say it's probable. There's plenty of evidence of, for whatever motivation of these attackers getting into the areas where they could do things like that. And often it doesn't take causing a nuclear meltdown to cause disruption. You can you can bring down a system for a day. You know, if you look at um, uh, not Petia, there was a good article, Maersk, the shipping company, they went down for, I don't know, 12 hours yeah, or something, yeah. cost them billions, billions of dollars. Of the ripple effects of just a small amount of downtime, you know, that power outage for a day is pretty, pretty <laughs> significant. So unfortunately, I, I think it's entirely possible. Companies need to, you know, start investing in this more seriously and, and taking it much more seriously. And there's a good sign that many of them are. So, you know, I don't want to be chiding. And I think they do need to think beyond the minimum requirements of, you know, legal requirements that you have a firewall and you have AV. You know, those are think beyond the table stakes yeah. to where the hackers really are and what they're attempting to do. And you've got to, you know, if you're going to confront that, you've got to be on the leading edge of, of security technology. Yeah. And, you know, this this has to be holistic. You know, of course, technology is one part, but people also play a very important part. Right. So it has to change. It has to change at all the levels. You know, it's not just, you know, of course, technology can do its bit, but, you know, even if you have a secure system, you can't just keep throwing garbage at it, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's because it's secure, right? So there are, um, uh, you know, the people, policies, practices, and then the technology, of course, is there to help. You know, all that has to come uh, together to solve this problem. And just one last element, this, you know, all the talk about IT and OT convergence and Internet of Things, you know, that is also a bigger picture issue that is absolutely happening that the, you know, for efficiency, that these older systems are being connected. And maybe that's forcing updates, which is good, but it also means you can't be isolated 
you know, you can't have security by isolation and be connected. <laughs> Those two are, are at complete odds. And that's really, that's a big, you know, forcing the vendors to, you know, realize they got to take this off. Sure. And the desire for connectivity and convenience often runs well ahead of the conversations about security and risk. Right. Absolutely. Saurabh Sharma and Willie Leiter of Versec, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on the Security Ledger podcast about uh, grid security. Well, thank you, Paul. Uh, anytime. We really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Paul. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Willie Leiter is the vice president of marketing, and Saurabh Sharma is the vice president of business development at the firm Versec. They were here talking to us about the NERC CIP fine leveled last week. Three, two, one. About the NERC, about NERC's ten million dollar fine for the violation of the CIP standard. 